mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I'm Russell Tovey. And I'm Robert Diamond. And this is Talk Art. Welcome to Talk Art. How are you, Robert? Today, Russell, I am feeling like a superfan, a superfan of painting. Because since we've been doing this podcast, I've realised, like, I think there is a constant thread. Even though we have had many different kinds of artists and different guests, there is always a thread of painting through our show. And I think it's really interesting. There's something about painting that keeps coming back for, for me personally, because... I just love everything that painting can can do and can be and can mean. Like, mm-hmm. I know it's the same for you, I think, isn't it? Well, yeah, absolutely. But I, I think there is kind of a, a hierarchy in the art world that painting's like uh, the favourite child and all the other mediums <laughs> are uh, <laughs> the less favoured siblings. But I, I, I see all art across the board. I, I love all my children the same. But I absolutely am drawn to uh, painting and I'm definitely drawn to the materiality of painting, how we make up painting, what materials people use. Yeah, and today we are going to be speaking to two incredible guests, the first of which we have on the line right now. And uh, she's an amazing, amazing British painter and also performance artist. And her performances... Multidisciplinary, yes. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And her performances really involve this idea of painting, but taking it to a completely new place, which is incredibly Mm -hmm. exciting, whilst Mm -hmm. also relating to a lot of art history, um, kind of direct response in many ways. Absolutely. So I'm very excited. We would like to welcome to Talk Art, Adelaide Moa. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> what a nice introduction. Thank you very much. Checked in the post. Hi, Adelaide. <laughs> Hello. Where in the world are you, Adelaide? I'm in Abbey Wood in South East London. Oh, cool. Oh, right. Nice. And do you have a studio there? Do you work from home and you've got separate places? Uh, both. I have. Um, so basically, I'm, I'm with a studio complex called Bow Arts and uh, my, my apartment's upstairs and my studio is downstairs in the complex, in the same complex. So I'm really lucky to have that because during these COVID times, I've still been able to come down to the studio and work. Oh, that's so good. Oh, that's great. That's so good. Well, I've been doing loads of research on you and, I, and the thing that, that comes up... Um, constantly is well something that i'm really drawn to is your performances and watching these incredible performances where you're so um empowered and uh you're so present and strong and it it feels very spiritual it feels like there's a lot of um what you draw on in your in your work is uh spirituality and the spirits of your ancestors come into your practice a lot 
Yes, um, I definitely agree with that. And it is, it is a, um, it, it was, it is almost a spiritual experience for me in that um, in the run-up to any performance I do, I have um, a set routine that involves fasting for 24 hours, involves a lot of medita- meditation um, and preparation before I even um, hit the stage. And in addition to that, there is a direct drawing on my ancestors. So I do a meditation where I'm directly calling on a specific ancestor, um, not because I know her or know anything about her, but just because uh, her, I've been obsessed with her image since I found it. And um, it's, the, the image itself is one of a very powerful woman. So um, for me to embody um, what I imagine to be her power is is, is really helpful to me and it helps me to get into what I call the flow state during the performance. Wow, so you fast. What I mean that I mean and does that as you go into the performance, does that give you a, a certain focus? Or I mean if I didn't eat for a day I'd be really shaky up there. I'd be nervous <laughs> anyway, but then I'd be shaky. But does that help you really um streamline your thinking and your and your energy? Definitely, 100%, because I mean, I've, I've been doing intermittent fasting for a few years now, but I did notice that any time I was in a fasted state, I felt more focused. So it then made sense to me once I started doing performance in 2016-17 that uh, I do that in a fasted state um, just because I just feel uh, more able to, um, to, to really focus on the task at hand and I don't know, somehow I just feel that it takes me to an altered state of consciousness, especially mm. when I'm adding, adding in the, the extra element of uh, meditation, which uh, takes mm. you somewhere else as well. Wow. And, and there's definitely a strong thread of uh, kind of feminist politics within what you do. And I know that you mentioned that when you're connecting to your ancestors, you mentioned the, the pronoun she. So. Um, can you speak a bit about that kind of approach as well? I suppose I would describe myself as a feminist and um, I'm part of a collective called the uh, Intersectional Feminist Collective. So I would describe myself as an intersectional feminist. Yeah. Um, all of those things are very important mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to me. Can you explain what intersectional feminism is? Yeah, of course. Uh, so uh, it, was, it was a term coined, I think, in the 80s and uh, it's, essentially it's used to... Um, it's, it's used to differentiate and allow for space uh, to think about other women's experiences when talking about feminism, right, and, and when, mm. when fighting the fight when it comes to feminism. So, for example, um, with, with me, I, I, I'm a black woman, so um, when I'm engaging in conversations about feminism, it's important to look at the intersection, especially in the Western world, it's important to look at the intersection the space where race and gender intersect to talk about uh, feminism from my Mm. perspective. Because otherwise, if you don't do that, you're in danger of leaving out people, whether that is uh, people of colour, whether that is um, um, trans people, whether that is uh, gay people, you are really in danger of leaving marginalised groups out of the conversation if you don't allow for space for their voices to come into the conversation. Right. So you then set up, you're one of the founders of this uh, collective. Yes. Uh, we literally just formed in February of this year on uh, what oh. we call Galentine's Day, <laughs> February 14th. 
uh, at my house. Uh, we essentially we we didn't start off with the intention of forming uh, a collective. We started off with the intention of doing an exhibition because we were uh, four four women um, plus a, a writer actually who were very passionate about. Uh, Artemisia Gentileschi, her show was opening, uh, was, is now open. So we were discussing doing an, an exhibition in response to the Artemisia show because all of us work with the body and, and the figure, the female figure, in mm-hmm. very distinct, different ways. Uh, and when we had that meeting and we ended up talking about the exhibition, then somehow we ended up um, saying, this sounds very much like, we're talking about doing this exhibition. We're also talking about continuing it. So it, it sounds, it feels to me very much like a collective because I'm already a founding member of another collective, which was founded uh, uh, five years ago, 2015. Um, and so it, it made sense to just decide to say, well, this is a collective because essentially we're working together and we have the same aims and objectives. So mm-hmm. we might as well make something of this and see what we can give back as well. That's great. Wow. And you, you, you mentioned this idea of... Um the body being a very important part of your work and also what connected you to those other people in the collective. But if you think of art history, like there were so many um, sort of important moments and artworks that I personally um, love and have resonated with me over the years. Artists like Anna Mendieta, even Yoko Ono, like her kind of Mm -hmm. cut piece, um, Janine Anthony, uh, and then obviously uh, a few kind of very well-known male artists, even like Yves Klein or... Um, David Hammonds, but um, can you speak a bit about the influence of art history on what you've on what, on what you've created? The influence of art history on my work, sure. Um, so, uh, I mean, you've mentioned a, a, a number of my major influences there, actually, all in one fell swoop. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> making the job very easy for me. But um, yeah, basically, I uh, I suppose uh, when it came to when it comes to thinking about the way that I I currently work. Um, I, I got very excited by Eve Klein, David Hammonds, and Anna Mendieta, um, first mm-hmm. and foremost. And, and so the very first performance I did in uh, 2017, using my body in the way that I, I um, started using it from that point, was a direct response to Eve Klein's uh, 1960 uh, anthropometry's performance. So that was a direct feminist response to, uh, to that work. Well, it was a, more so a direct feminist response to the critique of that work, which right. was that what he was doing was creating a passive female body which was ripe for objectification by the male gaze. And to me, that was a very, very interesting response, given that this is a performance where uh, you have mm-hmm. a clothed male, male dressed in a very smart dinner suit and a fully clothed audience, all in, in black tie and evening gowns, uh, with a, 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 um, an orchestra playing one note, and then you have a group of very beautiful, very young white ladies who are all naked, and he's directing them all to cover their bodies in this gorgeous blue paint and then make this beautiful artwork. Yeah. And and so for me, watching videos of that performance was was kind of awkward and uncomfortable, and and then reading that yeah. critique hit home. To me, so uh, creating a, a, a response from my perspective um, was was interesting to me, um, and 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 quite um, uh, I want to say um, exciting um, and empowering in a way, mm-hmm. in a weird way. 
Um, and then from there, uh, one of my, my the, the performance that is closest to my heart really is the uh, Into the Mind of the Colonizer performance that I performed for the first time last year uh, at Open Space Contemporary. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, and mm-hmm. that performance was, that one was directly influenced uh, in a massive way by Yoko Ono's 1965 cut piece. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and, and that one, where Yoko Ono's talking about violence against the female body, I was talking about my, my body specifically was a, a physical embodiment or representation of Africa and the violence against Africa during um, the scramble for Af- Africa with the... Um, uh, the 1884-85 uh, Berlin Conference, in which the whole of Africa was divided up among Europeans by Europeans with not a single African present. Um, and the violence that continued to be perpetrated against Africa from that point on, and which still reverberates to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for, by me acting as a stand-in, and uh, uh, the performance involved me actually speaking the words of the coloniser, um, which were from books mm. that I found uh, going back to. Uh, these are out-of-print books, 204 out-of-print books that I found in uh, 2018 that go wow. all the way back to uh, the mid-1600s. And, and these, these it's all, they're all digitised, but they speak specifically from the perspective of people who were actively involved in the colonisation process or project, as I like to call it, and uh, some of it is directions, how to colonise a people, how to subjugate a people, their thoughts on the natives. Um, and, and so the performance involved me speaking these words and then inviting the audience to come and cut my clothes off. And the cutting mm-hmm. is the Yoko Ono's, uh, Yoko, Yoko Ono reference. reference. Yeah. Yes. And actually, wow. there was something in, in that performance which... which you know, took it to a whole other place. Um, and it was very much this idea of your body being covered in paint. And then, you know, once the the clothes have been cut, you know, you then start to create an artwork that's beyond the performance that becomes this kind of physical artwork um, on the on the floor, um, you know, on, on the paper. So can you speak a bit about how important materials are um, to your practice? So important, especially when it comes to these kinds of performances where I'm using paint on my body. Uh, I experimented so much with different types of paint. Right. And um, I found that uh, the one that works best for me is, uh, is Winsor & Newton water mixable oil paint because that it's the, the least irritating and it's the easiest to get off. And I, I want to use oil paint because it's archival, hello. Um, so, um, yeah, the water mixable <laughs> oil paint. Oh, yeah. and, and also I had, uh, uh, I did have a, a conversation with some scientists who informed me that um, the water mixable oil paint was the, is the best thing to use uh, for those types of performances. But even then, after some time of continuing to do that, it starts to take a toll um, on the skin. So um, from, from purely from the perspective of my health and from the perspective of the, uh, the longevity of the work, the uh, Winsor & Newton um, water mixable is, is the best for those kinds of performances. But also with the colonizer performance, though, I added, um, uh, I actually used food dye, a mixed food dye to make the paint look like blood. Ah. Otherwise it didn't oh, look very right. blood-like. 
So I used food dye to make the paint look like blood. So um, I'm very experimental with um, my materials. It, it, obviously, ultimately, it depends on the thing that I'm trying to do, whether it's performance or whether it's my studio work, as to, you know, what materials I will use. Wow. Well, you, you just talked about, you asked a science, a scientist, because that triggers me because you had quite an unconventional route into art. You were studying biology first, uh, applied biology. Um, and during that time, you studied da Vinci and the human form and human proportions. And now I find it really fascinating that through art, finding your art practice, that it is all about the figure and I think your early work was traditional figuration, but now it's about you and you describe your own body as like a living paintbrush. And I find that that kind of, from your, your history of biology and now your, your work as an artist now, that that, that line feels quite um, uh, enticing to me. Yeah, I mean, for me, I suppose at, at university, my two favourite favorite, uh, subjects would have been um, definitely anatomy and physiology and then molecular genetics. There's like, I would geek out on those mm-hmm. subjects. Um, but painting and drawing was something that I had done since I was a kid. Um, I, I just always had a passion for it. I don't think I was ever really that great at it, but I just always had a passion for painting and drawing um, and, and specifically the, the body uh, and the figure. So, um, so for me, it was a, it was a, I guess it was a natural progression um, it kind of feels like that way now. At the time when I was sort of switching, it didn't feel mm. <laughs> that natural. It was kind of a painful transition. But now that I'm here looking back, it feels like that was the only way it could mm. go, really. Um, and then from there, who knows? Because uh, I'm experimenting with all sorts of different things now, uh, still using the body to create work, but maybe breaking the boundaries of the body in terms of what ends up on the canvas or on the paper. Oh, really? And, and talking about the palette you used, you use quite a limited choice of colours. I, I think I've read that you use black and gold. You're quite, these are quite a consistent uh, palette of oil paints that you use. Yeah, uh, well, it depends. Uh, for one particular series, so for the Genesis series of work, this, that was 2018, I was specifically using black and gold because of the, the subject matter, the, the, uh, the whole um, uh, series of work and for that particular exhibition mm. but um and the, the black was a, a direct reference to um race and the gold was a direct reference to um the uh gold coast which is is In present day ghana, Ghana. Yeah. Uh, used to be british gold coast used to be a, a british possession yeah. um and so uh, but my palette is limited in that i generally tend to um when I get obsessed with a colour, I'll stick with that colour <laughs> for a long time. So, yeah. it, so it's been blue, um, it's been red. So you've had your periods, like Picasso's uh, yeah. blue period, Picasso, <laughs> yeah, Adelaide's, yeah, yeah. yeah, gold yeah, period. Yeah, okay, yeah, great. yeah. But now I'm, obs- I'm stuck with, I'm stuck on, um, I'm doing a lot of cyanotypes at the moment. So I'm obsessed with the kind of pl- Prussian blue that you get with cyanotypes. Um, and, and also I am doing these, uh, this is a whole new series of work that I'm obsessed with at the moment, uh, which is, uh, I'm calling it Pure Joy. It came out of lockdown. It came out of all of that negativity, something positive with really crazy bright colours that I have. I was never comfortable working with before. Oh, cool. Um, like what? Like what? <laughs> like <laughs> hot pink, cobble yes. blue, purples, mm. just oh, so juicy. 
So, yeah, that's where I am right now. <laughs> that's great. Can you just talk about what a cyanotype is? Would you describe then cyanotype? Oh, cyanotypes, yes. So a cyanotype is like a, it's a very old um, kind of uh, image development technique using uh, chemicals. Um, so you mix these two chemicals. These days you can just buy um, cyanotype part A and part B. It's potassium ferricyanide, uh, that's how you say it. Mm-hmm. Potassium ferricyanide and ferric ammonium citrate. And you can buy them um, as a, a package. You mix part A, part B, and then you paint the surface. You can paint anything from paper to uh, canvas to uh, eggshells to uh, uh, fabric. Um, and you paint in the... It, ha- you have to, it has to be in the absence of UV light. Um, you let it dry in the dark. Um, preferably overnight, so it's completely dry. Um, and then you use uh, um, uh, negatives and expose the... Um, it doesn't have to be negative. It could, could be an object, whatever shape you want to get onto the paper. Um, and you expose it to UV mm-hmm. light for a certain period of time, and then you get this beautiful Prussian blue um, and it, it image. And it can be... It depends on the type of paper you use, if you use white paper or if you're using paper that's been treated with dye or something like what I use as to what kind of highlights you get. Wow, so it's like a shadow that's left behind or like it's like photographic paper, I guess. Yeah, basically you turn, you you can turn anything into photographic paper, essentially. It's a a kind of a simplified way of of looking at it. It's very, it's very old. I mean, this is a, this is a technique that he's, has been around since the 1800s. Uh, And it's, it's where the term blueprint came from. You know, blueprint, oh, like in, yeah, in architecture. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, that's where it came from. So, um, oh, there so we go. Well, I love that. I love the science behind it. Then there's a passion in your voice when you're talking about it <laughs> from a scientific the, I, point of view. I'm really into this idea of the like Windsor and Newton. You were talking about how the scientists, you know, get in touch with the artists as well. And I know that they they develop this new um, type of um, paint that can really like keep the brilliance of the color and the kind of um, light fastness of the color. I, I think it's like a new series of cadmium-free oil colors. Is that something that you've been using yourself then for these new works? No, not yet. But um, um, I have been speaking to those scientists about um, basically creating, because I'm always experimenting with different things. So I'm going to be sending them some samples so that they can test it to see uh, the longevity of the work. They've got some special machine there. Um, And um, but I have been using like uh, the the, their varnishes, and Liquitex varnishes as well, which are are really good in terms of uh, longevity and light fastness. But the, the good thing about cyanotypes, you don't you don't actually need that. But for for I use um, the the varnishes and things for the other works where I'm using pigment because I use a lot of dry pigment, um, and that's where actually the David Hammond's reference comes in. Actually, circling back to um, references and influences. Yeah. David Hammond's, um, so essentially a lot of the body print work that I do, um, the, I, I use dry pigment and grease, and that technique comes from David Hammond's. Well, I read that that's how David Hammond's produces his, or produced his body print series of work. And mm-hmm. when I saw his body prints, I was obsessed. I was like, how did he do it like mm-hmm. that? And I dug and dug and dug, and I found out that's how he did it. So then I, I kind of developed my own way of doing it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, 
it, it, it requires a lot of uh, varnish to set it in place. Wow. Yeah, his work always makes me think a lot uh, at points, like the Turin Shroud. You know, like the way that that fabric was embedded with Christ. Exactly. Uh, there's that energy in, in the work. and yeah. Exactly, exactly. That's, that's why wow. I... Well, I, I, Rob's going to like this because we know that your, your art hero is uh, Frida Kahlo, is your like, <laughs> long-running heroine hero. And for Rob, it's the same for him. I feel like you, totally. you two can bond over that. <laughs> Love her. <laughs> obsessed, obsessed, obsessed. I, I literally, a friend of mine just gave me her... Um, a really gorgeous book the other day, which is her diaries. Yes. Um, yes. Oh, have you seen it? Yes, yes, I have it here. I was talking oh. to Russell about it the other day. Oh, my God, it's beautiful. It's so gorgeous. It's just one of those kinds of books that you just... I mean, that's one, another one of my obsessions is, book, obsessions is books. I have a massive collection of books. Um, but, yeah, that book is, is literally one of my favourites. But, yeah, it's because of... Frida is who made me fall in love with art in the way that I did, in the very specific way that I did. Um, not just in terms of figuration, but also in terms of um, her expression of herself, her telling the truth about herself, about her mm. life, about her experiences, about her pain, you know. And, and I was shown that from quite a young age, from like 14 at school. And from that point on, I started, to, I, start, I just basically tried to be Frida. Anytime <laughs> <laughs> I made a painting, I was trying to be Frida. Uh, so I literally cool. have a painting of like one of the, my very early paintings, which was like uh, uh, my reimagining of the two Fridas, but it was me and my dad. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> That's how I was obsessed, obsessed, obsessed with her. It's really interesting because I, 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 I connected with Frida at a very similar age when I was like 13, 14. And I think it's actually the, uh, the, the work that got me so into painting. It was um, seeing some of those paintings like My Birth and The Two Fridas and, and just the way that painting can transform, you know, real human experience and emotions. But somehow it becomes mm. something other. And I, I think that's why I love oil paint so much too. Exactly. Like she... She, for me, embodied the power of oil paint, um, of, 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 well, just painting full stop. Mm. She embodied the potential for the power of painting for me um, in, a, in, in such a profound way uh, that I think, I, I don't know, maybe she, it could be potentially life-changing if I, if I went back in time to 13, 14 and hadn't discovered Frida, would I still end up being an artist? I don't know. Maybe not. I don't know. Um, maybe a different artist. Wow. They've just, just gone to science. I don't know. But for me, it just, she just, it, it, it was, it was that serious for me. My love of Frida. Yeah. That's so, amazing. So, cool. so what are you working towards at the minute, Adelaide? What, what's, what's like, you've, you seem to have kept busy during lockdown and, and finding new ex exciting uh, things to work on. What, what, what can we look forward to next? Those of stuff. Um, so I'm working on like three different bodies of work at the moment. And, um, but the, the main project for me is my, uh, the continuation of my Confronting Colonisation project, the first iteration of which was the Into the Mind of the Colonised performance. Um, mm -hmm. So that is going to be expanded over the, over the next couple of years. Um, mm -hmm. And then at the same time, I'm really um, pushing this cyanotype 
work. Um, and just stuff keeps comes up all the time. Fairs, art fairs, um, exhibitions. Uh, at the moment, I'm in um, uh, Flowers Gallery. It's just opened today, actually. The um, okay. gallery of these uh, small, these beautiful yeah, yeah. exhibition, um, and uh, and also at the RWA in Bristol, the open exhibition just opened. I'm an academician there, so there's, there's yes, that. Yes, you, you were the first ever uh, black artist become an academician in 2019, right? Apparently. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I'm not... <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I'm, I'm not... I'm not entirely sure. Um, this is... Uh, this is... Um, I don't know that there's any way of being able to check all the way back, as far back as the RWA has been open, but uh, yeah, apparently that is the case. What is, what is the art? It's the Royal West of England Academy, but is that aligned with the Royal Academy in London? Yes. So basically you've got the Royal Academy schools and then the, the RWA is the only regional um, um, Royal Academy in the country. Um, and it's in Bristol. So, yeah. Oh, it's... wow. And you're an academician there. That is so cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was a bit of a surprise to that's, me as well. <laughs> that's major. That's major. So we we ask every artist that comes on or every guest uh, two very important questions, uh, mm-hmm. which I hope you prepped for. The first one is: if you could do an art heist, if you could steal nicely any work of art in the world, what would it be and why? I know the obvious. The obvious answer is going to be the two Friedas by Frida Kahlo. <laughs> Right, that's but that's just too obvious. Yes, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> it's just too. Where obvious. is it though? Where in the world is it? <laughs> I have no idea right now, but um, but the, the 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 answer that immediately came to mind because I've been thinking about this for a long time because I've heard some of your other interviews, so I've been yeah. thinking about this for a long time, <laughs> and for me, it has to be all of the Seagram murals, all of them. Really? <laughs> yes. I was at the opening uh, in 2008 at the Tate, right? And I sat in front of, Mm -hmm. I sat in that room and the feeling that I had from those works was it, uh, I don't even know how to describe it. It was like, it was like a spiritual ecstatic experience Mm. that I've only ever really had during meditation sessions. Right. Wow. So like, so you, and you've been a fan of Rothko before that, you, like obviously because of the colour and everything. But did, was Rothko someone who was like on your radar? Yes, I mean it was it was on my radar, but radar. But I'd never seen the work in real life, so um, just looking at it mm. on screen doesn't compare to seeing it in real life. Looking at at it mm. on screen, there's there's not an inkling that it would do that to you, that it would do that to you emotionally, physically. Just it, it was like an immersive, beautiful, meditative experience, and I've wow. never had that with any other piece of artwork. Wow! And that's sort of Tate Modern now for anybody who's listening. I think it's yeah, it's extraordinary. Yeah, I think it's a permanent exhibition. Yeah. And there was he made them for the Seagrams uh, Hotel, or is it exactly. a lounge? And then and then suddenly he, he didn't want to. They didn't have enough money, or they weren't going to do something, and he just took them away. And they never went up there, or did they go up? Yeah. What's the, what's the no, story? No, they didn't. Apparently, they didn't. They never went up. Um, and and then he ended up, I think, towards the end of his life, then they got uh, somehow ended up with the tape. 
Um, I don't know why they didn't end up going up. I suspect they maybe they mm. just didn't end up having the money or something. Probably something like that. Mm. I think they fell out. I think he went there and he went to lunch there and he went, I don't want my work to be around these people. That's I what think I think it was happened. Yeah, there was some oh, snobbery really? with him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah, I think he was a bit sassy with it and was like, absolutely not, actually. I'm here now. No. <laughs> I don't like you people. You can't have my work. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the other question we ask every guest is a perfect one for you um, because of your incredible detailed knowledge of different colours. But what is your favourite colour? <laughs> Uh, again, the obvious answer, well, not obvious to you, but obvious to me, because ever since I was a child, my favourite colour was always red. And anyone who asked me, what's your favourite colour? I would always say red. Mm. When they said why, I didn't understand why. It just was red. It was just the most pleasing colour to me emotionally. It just the most pleasing colour to my eye. And it just made me feel the most powerful. However, since I've become an artist... I, I go through different phases and I have different obsessions. So um, at one point, I was obsessed with the blue. That ultramarine blue was like my life. I wanted to, I wanted to surround myself with just blue. Other times, mm-hmm. it's been black. Um, I, I always go back to the red, though. Always go back to the red. But right now, it's that hot pink. Mm. It's that Is hot it? pink. Mm. It makes me feel some kind of way. It makes me feel happy. So cool. Positive. It's, it's an incredibly positive colour. And it's, it's this colour that actually... Uh, Michael Craig Martin, who's an amazing artist, he, his favourite colour is... Um, it's a magenta, isn't it? Yeah, Rob? it's magenta, yeah. Which is, a, which is kind of very similar to hot pink. And he says, for some reason, artworks really work hung on the hot pink wall or on this magenta pink wall. For some reason, all artwork pops and it doesn't take it away from the work. It actually enhances the experience. That's interesting. I've never... Mm. I'm going to have to try that. I've never heard that before. I think he took it so far that he actually... When he curated the Royal Academy Summer Exhibition, he painted the entire... Um, Royal Academy in that colour on the walls and it was really controversial because some artists like didn't think it was going to work but apparently it looked really spectacular mm. Ooh, interesting yeah. mm-hmm. it's quite a bold choice I'm really into this idea of like hot pink as being a response somehow to this past year we've been in you know like like it's almost like we sort of need these vibrant bright intense colours now for like our soul or something like <laughs> Seriously, it's like food. Yeah, it really is. It it does. It it's like food. Colors to me can feel like food. So if you if you're gonna, I feel almost as if when I come into the studio and I'm working with particular colors, it can really change my mood differently. Like in a in a in a very serious way. So when I come into the studio and I lay down a canvas on the floor and I throw on some hot pink and then the purple and that cobalt blue to get. Oh, all of a sudden, the, mm. like, even if it's dark outside, I feel alive. I feel better in myself. I feel centred. So brilliant. Yeah. It's also interesting to me, the, the power of painting. And I feel like we need painting now, you know, as a response to all of these turbulent times we've been in. And I don't just mean like figurative painting. I mean, all kinds of painting. And I think you're a really brilliant example of somebody that's taking painting to a completely you know, yes, it's linked yeah, to history, totally. but you're also doing something that's new and and of this moment and, you know, your presence on earth right now, if you know what I mean, like some kind of record of it. I find it incredibly inspiring. Mm. Thank you. 
Thank you. That means a lot. Thanks. Well, we love you, Adelaide. Thank you so much for for coming on. This has been incredible. And I'm so happy about that um, Windsor and, and Newton, you know, introduced us to your work as well, because that's how we actually heard about you in the first instance. And it's been such a joy to explore. And I can't wait to actually meet you at some point. <laughs> that would be nice. I've actually met you before, uh, Russell. Oh yeah. Well, yes, very briefly, yeah. very briefly at. Um, it was the Tate. Uh, it was this event, this weird uh, kind of event where uh, there were uh, they hired out the, the whole of the top floor of. And they had that newsreader coming to present the things, and we were it was separated a quiz. Into it tables. was the Tate quiz. That quiz thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was like a year or two ago, or something. Was you on the winning table? No, I wasn't. I wasn't. I was <laughs> not happy about that. <laughs> Same. I was so Yeah, we, we failed miserably as well. Yeah, yeah. I know, me too. And, and we tried so hard. Oh, oh well. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's nice to speak to you again. Yeah, thank you so I much, do. Adelaide. I've, I've loved every minute. And um, looking forward thank to seeing you. your next exhibition. Thank you so much for having me. Bye. All right. All the best. <laughs> Have a nice Take care. Day. Bye. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com So Rob, that was amazing. Adelaide Demoa was incredible then. Uh, We've got another guest coming on now who um, is someone that you know very, very well. Yeah, Huddy is an artist that I actually collect. I have one of his amazing figurative paintings. I I first met him via his dad, of all people, because I actually represent his dad in the gallery, at Carl Friedman Gallery, um, Mm because Huddy is related to Billy Childish, the incredible painter. Mm -hmm. But the really cool thing is, Huddy is an amazing painter in his own right. And I've been seeing his work develop over the past three, four years in the studio and fell crazy in love with everything that he's doing. I think his self-portraits are just extraordinary. And he's a very different artist to Adelaide, actually, which is partly why we wanted to talk to him, because of this idea of painting now and what it means and particularly oil painting which is you know a very specific medium so i'm very excited to be introducing to talk art huddy hamper hi thank you very much hello thank you for having me where are you are you in kent i'm good yeah i'm at my i'm at my parents I've, um, i've been down here over this month of the of the second lockdown Yes, of course. How old are you? I am 20. I'm going to be 21 next week. Oh, my God. And well, we're not in full lockdown then, so you can sort of see a few people, hopefully, a few of your friends. I think so, yeah. It's it's confusing with all these different rules and whatnot. But, um, I know. Yeah, I'm sure I'll work something out. <laughs> are you in Kent Amazing. at the moment? I, I am, yeah. I went down to my yeah, dad. 
for um, yeah. for this. Because Kent's really annoying at the moment. It's gone into tier three, so I don't know. Yeah, if I know. Can't see many people, but yeah. I think that's your fault, though, Rob. To be honest, it's all my fault. Uh, Everything's my fault. Is he the super spreader? Yes, <laughs> <laughs> one person. Definitely. <laughs> I'm definitely not a super spreader. Um, so, Huddy, you're currently studying at Slade, is that right? Yes, I am. I've got four, five months left or something. I finish in May, which is going to be strange. Yeah. Wow. How has that, that been? I mean, what has that been like during lockdown? Have you done everything on Zoom? Yes. Yeah. Which, is, which has its ups and downs. Um, What's the ups? The ups is you can, like... I can be down in Kent. I can be at my parents and do meetings online and things. I don't have to actually travel up to London. The downs are the fact that I don't really like doing <laughs> things online. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay, it's quite a big down. Yeah. Yeah, but but it but it is really handy. You know, if you've got to do if you've got to be somewhere else or do something, and you can just do it on your laptop. Yeah. Have you got a studio down in in Kent, or do you, or do you go into your dad's? I paint in my dad's studio down in Kent. Oh, which wow. is which is so lucky to be able to have you know i feel so sorry for people that have like you know especially over that first lockdown it's just I, I was able to do so much work which, which was the really the upside for the lockdown for me i think was that i really was able to focus on painting and um and i did some woodcuts and sort sort of like without any social distractions and have the opportunity to well have the um access to a studio you know kids that don't don't have that i think it must have been really tough yeah. what was it like growing up with your dad being a like a well-known practicing artist and was you surrounded by art as well as your dad's work growing up and seeing other artists practice and meeting other artists what was your kind of childhood like um well my my very young childhood wasn't so much like that i remember i think i was about 10 when my dad had his big break at um at the ica and that's when i first sort of started to you know sort of started to realize like I went to the show and you know sat around and watched people interview him but I've um I've just it's just always been the way it is so it sounds a bit Mm. silly but you know I've I've never really known it to um to be any different he doesn't he doesn't really collect art he's got it's, it's mostly family art so in my room I've got one of his paintings I've got one of my uncle's uh something my uncle made when he was at Slade we've got my grandmother's pots in the house and um a few he's actually got a schmidt rutloff that his uh his german gallery gave him for his birthday last year i think that's about it for art for art yeah which is really really nice um uh, a woodcut oh i remember i know know your grandmother's pots they they uh, um uh, they're cats aren't they They're, they're ceramic like uh jugs they've got like cat faces and yeah they're really cool yeah 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 they they they're great. I think I saw white columns in New York had them. Was wasn't she? She had she had a big solo solo exhibition there. I'm not sure if what what the connection with my dad was with that. I, th- I think I think your dad also did a did a show there. But her name's June, isn't it? Yes, yeah. She June passed Ham- away June over Hamler, the lockdown. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I I'm sorry. That. She was ve- she's very old. She was 92. Same age as the Queen. Wow. Yeah, but not coronavirus. Work in your house. That's so nice. Yeah, yeah, there's there's lots of pots and things around. And ho- hopefully, I think there's an idea, or I don't know, it'd be nice if someone did an exhibition at some point soon. <laughs> That's it, we'll put that out there in the world. That's but also, your now. your family put together a, a book, didn't they, of June Lewis's pots? I think it's yes. called June's Pots, and you can yeah. you should check it out if you June haven't Hamper, seen the isn't it? Yeah. yeah, it's no, no, June Hamper. No, no, it's June Hamper. Lewis. Oh, oh it's, it's June oh, Lewis. Okay. Oh, yeah, it is June Lewis, because it, 
So I remember seeing the book and thinking the font looked like the font of John Lewis. Exactly, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it does look just like... Yeah. So how did, how did you find your way into, uh, like... The, the the mediums that you're using because your relationship between the materials and your your practice are quite um similar to your dad's but yet you have this other language that goes through the work i i've i've um well on the first point my, i think i probably st- started doing oil paints when i was about nine and i did art club after school with my dad when i was a kid and it w- and it was he used to tell me that he um he can't do many things, but this is one thing he can do and one thing he can teach me how to do, which I always thought was quite nice. So he uh, taught me how to draw, showed me, you know, just just really simple things like with, you know, I, I go, he used to paint at my grandmother's on Sundays and sometimes I'd go and do a painting there and, you know, he'd show me, oh, look, this is a, you know, you don't want to scrub the paint in, you want to put it on like this or, you know, you want to use the brush in a certain way, kind of like quite... It's quite straightforward, simple stuff. Uh, it's like you're, so the materiality and and the way the way it's all linked. So the, the way that you use oil paint. I mean, you obviously learnt. You were saying from your dad just then the skills. But is that something that you really feel like you're uh, constantly exploring? I d- I do it quite a lot. So I guess I am exploring it. I, I mean, there's I think I think there's a certain um, nowadays, especially there's like a, there's a certain idea that you uh, and it. And when you're younger as well, to kind of like, oh, you need to try, you know, you need to try ev- everything in very little yeah. detail, which is <laughs> which is which is kind of a shame, you know. Like on my um, on my foundation or whatever, uh, I I did like a two year foundation, and there was kind of there's not there's not really any focus, and I think people, and it's it, you know, it's great to have a breadth of um, skills, but there definitely is a lack of focus, and I find. I have been able to focus a lot on just doing painting, especially oils, you know, and that's the only way you learn how to do anything really, I think, is just by mm. doing it for a very, very long time. And this idea that I think people that are, are going to go to art school and, you know, after three years or four years, they're going to come out being a painter or being an artist is just ridiculous. I mean, it's like, it's, it's, I think it's a life's work really, like like any kind of... Yeah, I agree. Mm. What is it about oil paint though for you that is uh your medium of choice really well oil paint is just i mean if um oil paint is the best paint to use i think i mean it's so much better than acrylic i was i was actually thinking about this the other day because i um i I play music as well and i'll get a friend of mine's making me a guitar and he was asking me about lacquer and um and on old guitars you used to get uh it's like some sort of night can't remember i don't know the technical words but nitro he's something. making you a guitar you're yeah, yeah yes he is yeah i mean he does build <laughs> guitars <amazing. laughs> but but, he, but he's wow. making me one and he was asking me about lacquers now it's like the you can get a different the old lacquer they used to use and one of the reasons that old guitars uh, guitars built up until a certain year sound better is because they use a different type of lacquer and they changed it to plastic lacquer to like i don't know what it would be but they 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 changed it and that is sort of the difference between oil paint and um acrylic in a way i think because right. like you know acrylic paint is like plastic and it looks like plastic <laughs> um and it's kind of the same with this lacquer for guitars i was thinking about it you know the old one resonates and it it actually cha- changes the color slightly um 
that's that's not just why I use oil paint, but, uh, yeah, but yeah, I thought yeah. it was a nice analogy. And actually, colour is something that's really important, I think, in your work. And there's definitely what 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 is very different to what your dad does and what you do, because I've seen both the painting side by side in the studio, which is why I often associate you both together. Um, but is that your work seems to have this kind of sensitivity to colour, which is quite different to your dad's. And I, I think it's really interesting, this kind of recently a lot of the works had this kind of teal um and and these kind of light mm. blues and things like that and i think the oil paint particularly in those colors is so interesting is that something you're aware of i've been painting a lot more over lockdown and i think the thing the colors that you're kind of talking about kind of they started to happen a bit more over that time almost quite pastely in a way yes a horrible pastely, word. exactly no but i don't know if it is though because i think what you're doing with it it's a really beautiful kind of yeah, there's, there's a really interesting energy that's happening in the work. And Yeah, I think they have like a look, which you seem to pick up on in the studios. They do have a sort of softer kind of energy to a lot of my father's work, my yes. dad's work. Um, which, which is funny because I think I'm probably a, a more softer person. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. <laughs> he's, he's quite a spiky man in, in many ways, in many good ways. Is he a critic of your work? Does he... Is he quite uh, raw with his approvals or disapprovals of your practice? He's he's pretty raw with everything. If you've ever met him, <laughs> um, he he's a fantastic critic. You know, he's a real he is a, ge a genuinely a really good tutor. I'm not just saying that because he's my dad, because he can to a certain extent. I feel he can kind of understand a, a direction that I'm sort of trying to go in because he's done it and can. He's very good at looking things and pointing things out, you know. It'd never be like, mm. you need to do this, you need to do that. It'd be like, have you looked at this? Have you considered this? Um, you know, that that white mark there is really drawing my attention and maybe, you know, maybe it's a problem, I don't know. And uh, and Steve Lowe does that, or, or did, um, still comes to the studio, but especially a couple of years ago, I used to ask him for a lot of critique. He's a, a friend of my dad's who runs L13. Yeah, and Steve's a really great painter in, in his own right. Yes. What's L13? I, I can tell you. L13 is a kind of publishing house and exhibition space. So they do exhibitions and they're based in Farringdon kind of area, in, in not, oh, right. not far from where you live, Russ. And, um, okay. and Steve publishes loads of books and makes prints and is incredibly kind of supportive person for many different artists, including like Jimmy Corti and Billy Childish. And there's a whole gang um, that he's kind of uh, part of. And um, yeah, he's a brilliant person, but he's also a really great artist in his own right. Yeah, Steve's great. Wow. So, what other artists are you looking at? Because I can see so many. Obviously, I see your dad's work in in your in your practice, but then I see I see like Van Gogh or Van Gogh. I think your dad shouted at me last time. I pronounced <laughs> it wrong, and now whenever I say Van Gogh, I think of your dad <laughs> telling me. Yeah, I, it's Van Gogh. I, I, I love Van Gogh. Uh, Van Gogh. Van Gogh. Um, that's it. You just said it right. But then Monk is in there, and then I can see like Paul Arago and Matisse and Freud and Marlena Dumas and Gauguin, and I, there's so many things. And then your own language, obviously. The, the, one of the artists that I always go back on is uh, Delacroix, one of my all-time oh, really? favorites. Yeah. Yeah, he's. I, I think it's probably the the most amazing exhibition I've ever seen. I went to see his exhibition in Paris. It must have been like four years ago now, or three years ago, and it really was like the, the most amazing by by quite a long way, actually. And I was quite surprised uh, just the impact of some of those paintings. You walked in, and it, it was the first painting was the massacre at Chios, and it's just like completely mind blowing. Yeah, wow. for for colours, for composition. Um, 
looking at figures and also what he says about art is like absolutely in the same way what van gogh says about painting uh Del- his journal is like amazing i think i what think does he, what does he say yeah, the, his journal is great it's it's a it's a funny it's a funny mixture of like his um his musing on painting and his like teenage angsty struggles and then as he gets into an older man you know his his struggles with with life and with you know oh my cousin's more attractive than i am and all the girls fancy him and all that kind of stuff um and and then also talking about these like really fantastic paintings and you know i really i really need to get permission to copy this velasquez it's really amazing and and he writes um he writes about painting in like a really profound way which i i think is kind of not really spoken about these days you know there's a lot of focus on um other aspects of of art and of painting you know the um the the subject or the um or the kind of political act of painting or the kind of like other other political things that kind of go around it and in that i think there's a is lost a little bit of like stuff that you kind of get when you when you read Delacroix, Van Gogh, or the, these amazing ideas they had about what what painting could be, or you know. Yeah. So, so are you talking more about like soul painting, or like you know, some kind of essence of the human condition, or something beyond just more of a storytelling approach? I'm not sure if I'm talking about either of those things. I think. I think something someone said to me last year, which I which I thought was really a really nice way of putting it, is like um, painting or, or great art should be it should be like poetry. It should like lift you lift you out of the um, lift you out of the state you're in or this or mm. the or the place you're in. The you know, yeah. like when you read a really amazing author or in a really great book, and you think. God, life is like so, you know, so much more than this. And I, or a great poem, and I, I think painting can can do that in a in a kind of profound way. Yeah, and they were saying that great authors and great painting can lift you out of the mire, can take you, transport you somewhere else, and it's not snobbery. It's actually, you know, spiritual in some ways. Yeah, completely. I mean, one of the great things, not to r- rattle on about what people said, but like, Van, one of the reasons I think Van Gogh painted some flowers was because he thought it would be amazing for someone that's on a battleship in the middle of the ocean that doesn't have access to um to real flowers to be able to have the next best thing which would be like a painting of some and that that would make their life a little bit better which is oh, like God, you know can you imagine if his sunflowers was on the battleship <laughs> <laughs> probably would make their life better i mean yeah it would yeah yeah but you yourself have been painting um sort of details like interior details with flowers so you've just done clematis recently and like that that seems to be an ongoing theme for you i I really like painting flowers yeah it's um it's a nice break from painting figures and from drawing figures which i think is really difficult drawing flowers is kind is kind sort sort of cheating because it's kind of nowhere near as difficult as paint as drawing anyway as drawing figures i think you know because because they're so much more they're so much more fluid in their form, you know, you don't have to actually, you can kind of just make them look a little bit like a flower and they look like a flower. <laughs> Whereas like an arm, it really that's, does that's have your, to look like an arm. hack. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. How often do you paint and, and draw? Are you, are you trying to do it every day? No, no, I, 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 I don't do it every day. I, um, since, I've been, since I've been down here, uh, my, my 
father paints once a week and he goes to the studio once or twice a week. So I, I go with him and I, I work then. But if I'm in London, I work a little bit more, maybe three, four days I'll go into the studio. But I couldn't go in every day. And to be honest, I probably only have one day of like really good painting a week. Right, 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 when you're in your flow. Yeah, because it kind of... Um, Ips. Yeah, but it, it'd be too much to do it all day, every day, I think. <laughs> I, I paint yeah, yeah. quite quickly as well. And, and if I painted all the time, I'd just paint over stuff. And I, I try and take my own advice. Like I'm always telling um, friends of mine not to not to paint over stuff. I think people people really often paint over some of their best work. Right. Wow. Tell us about Slade. What's what's what is art school like at Slade? Now you're about to graduate. What has your experience been like? And and is it as kind of exciting and exhilarating when you first get there as I would imagine it to be? It's a, it's a difficult question. Slade is like, I think I think art school in general is um, it is not there to fulfil the requirement which I hoped it was. In that, it's not there to teach you how to paint. <laughs> and I think if you go to art school under the idea that you that you're going to be taught academic skills, you know, or you're mm. going to be taught how to draw, that the main focus it seems to me is around the talking about art you know the the discussion around it the seminars the talking to each other but but you have to be quite self motivated in your in your drive to um to like work out how to do stuff and there they, there are some really really fantastic tutors at Slade and that genuinely really care about the students and really want the best for them and like you mm. you can tell that especially over now you know some of the some of the tutors are very feel very bad about the situation that that we're in and um mm. but but it's like it's that you know i um i think i had a i had a certain expectation of what of um being taught in a way that no one is taught in these days and i'm very lucky to i guess know a few people like my like my dad like my old man that can sort of like give you a bit of guidance in that way but but I don't think art school functions in that in that way, or it doesn't seem to to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's more somehow more about the critiques and the kind of thoughts behind work rather than the actual skill to make a work. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll refrain on passing judgment on that. I'll I'll see see how it ends up. Mm-hmm. Mm. What are your What are your dreams then? Because you 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 this is your life now, right? Going forward, you are you're twenty. You're going to be twenty one like the next week this is you can see yourself doing this for the rest of your life yeah i hope so yeah i I really hope so it's like honestly i've been thinking about it more than ever over the last month because it's it probably is i don't know how many months is it till may or whatever till i finish and it's gonna be my first time out of education since i was like five or something which is insane Mm. and um and and i um i don't know i don't know quite how I'm going to work it out or quite what um you know but I'm sure it will I'm sure it will all work out yeah I'd love to be able to and I think I will be able to you know um yeah I don't know if that's just like me being I don't know (laughs) like I I I feel like it will all it will all kind of work out in the way that's meant to work out and it sort of has feel like it um it sort of has so far I think I've I think I've landed on my feet in this life you know and I'm very grateful for all of the um opportunities 
for all of the opportunities that are just yeah. that are just there. <laughs> what What are your hopes and dreams though? Then do you have like museums? You're like I would really love to, you know, obviously do a show with Delacroix in France together, like a duo show. Or do you have like you want to be in this museum, or you'd like to be shown there? Do you Do you have aspirations for where you'd like your work to be shown and seen? I, I'd like my work to be shown to people that um, care about it. And I'd like it to be bought by people that care about it and not bought for any other reason than that. Um, I think that's the only thing you can really ask for, you know, that it's that it's not. Because that's the weird thing, like, talking about art school, it's like art, art school is so incredibly left-wing and then it kind of feels like the art market is so incredibly right-wing. Oh, absolutely. The, the artists the artists are, are Democrats and then the, the buyers are Republicans. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, it's, and it's like all banking and whatever, you know. I think it'd be great to be able to sell, sell to people or, or for people to buy. But I don't really know about museums or anything, you know. I'd just be able to like to be able to, I'd just like to be able to do what I want to do in the way that I want to do it um, and, mm. and, um, and to be able to not have to work in a bar or not have to, you know, have a real job. Is it um is yeah. is it hard for you to to let the paintings like go to new homes because like I mentioned before like I've got one of your paintings and I know a few of my friends have bought your works because I've always thought the subject matter of your work is so personal like either they're self portraits or you and your friends or even your dog captain but like that there's all these kind of very personal moments how do you feel when you have to let a painting go to a new home I'd love to be able to never sell any paintings but then it's like. <laughs> You know, I'm in, I'm in two minds about it. It's like I've got, so, I paint a lot of paintings and I've got, stat, you know, probably a hundred paintings in the studio or something that wow. I've done, a, or probably more, you know, what I've, I've been doing for a long time, well, for five years or something. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Um, and it's, it's, it's better in a way that they're on someone's wall that appreciate them. And it's really useful because, you know, I, um, I just bought some more canvas today and spent like, you know, almost, well, I think I spent about seven hundred pounds on canvas, and it's like it's really mm. nice when you can sell a painting and get a bit of money to buy a canvas and um, and live on. <laughs> yeah, and kind of like reinvest back into what you want to make next. Yeah. Exactly, and yeah, it's it, a feeding feeding system, isn't it? Yeah, and, and I think it's better that things go to, you know, it, as much as I don't like selling paintings, it is really nice when you see one of your paintings on someone's wall. Like a few of my friends have paintings, and and you know. It's nice that they that they enjoy a life of their own and go out into the world and do their thing. Is um is painting with oil paint harder than than acrylic, or is it just a completely different thing? Because I've always thought with oil paint somehow it needs more skill or more like it's more like chemistry behind it or something. I don't I'm, I don't know there there is, there is chemistry behind it. I'm not you know I'm not classically trained, but there is definitely stuff like you know you don't want to put I can't actually remember what way it is. I'm pretty sure it's you don't want to put quick dry you don't want to put quick drying paint on top of slow drying paint so you don't want to because then it will crack and there's lots of things like that like that that go on there i've got a, a funny thing i read i was really into talking about delacroix i was really into jericho um when i was on my foundation i just did a copy of a little section of raft of the medusa and apparently um that's painted on bitumen because at the time it was like cheaper than black paint so they thought oh we'll just we'll use this as a ground it's painted on bitumen and it needs to get like taken down every 30 years or something and kind of reapplied because the bitumen never properly sets. So it's just oh, really? constantly like sagging down. Yeah. And the bitumen's a bitch. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Oil paint takes longer to dry and, they're pro they're, and that probably involves a little bit more like careful thinking. But, you, you know, and it's more expensive and more messy. And mm. um, 
but I like I'm really bad with my paint you know I destroy loads of the pigment by like mixing it with loads of turps and taking it off with rags and kind of messing about with it a bit um but I think I I, I don't know whether it's it probably is harder you know it, and it, it it's probably more daunting as well it, um I, I use acrylic but only really if I'm doing you know if I'm like doing it like a little study with ink I'll use white acrylic or something to try and work like work something out just it dries nice and quickly kind of just like white mm -hmm. you know just use it as a white oh, ink interesting yeah this drying thing's really interesting because there's uh, the artists that use oil paint really densely uh, on the surface people like frank Auerbach, they say that the paintings that have been completed like 40 years ago are still drying when oh, they so do these crazy. tests on them within the auction houses <laughs> the paint inside the outer casing is still wet because it takes so long and some of these paintings take like decades to really fully dry out. Yeah, it, 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 is, it, is, it is crazy. I mean, there definitely are some, like King's Blue, I think, takes forever to dry. I've used that before. And in the winter when it's cold and damp, it's like, it will, you know, it will be six months before it's like kind of feeling like it's dry if you use a big clump. Wow. There's also weird stuff with like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure in what ones, but I've heard stuff about, because certain Van Goghs when he was using like kind of, that was right when people started putting paint in tubes I think wasn't it with the impressions and stuff like um, using unstable pigments and like colours completely changing <laughs> like things that he would have used that would have been really vibrant kind of just dulling over time because the pigments were oh, unstable right. yeah and I, th I think um, Winsor and Newton who we've been um, collaborating with I think they've done a lot of research with scientists to try and make uh, pigments to have a long-lasting, you know, representation of the colour that the artist desired. Mm. It's really interesting how how it's all developed. And I think if you mix um, them with linseed oil and stuff, that kind of yellows them more. But um, right, right. Hadi, we ask every guest that comes on two very important questions. The first one is: if you could do an art heist, you can have any work of art in the world to yourself. You can steal it happily, and no one's going to complain. What would it be, and why? It's a really difficult question. I'm really, I'm actually really bad at answering questions like this. I'm sorry. I'm su I'm such a bad recipient for this. Um, <laughs> Don't worry. Hmm. Would it be a masterpiece by like Delacroix? Because because that, that that's kind. Of, it's it's a bit yeah. I think um, I think maybe that that famous self portrait that Delacroix did would be a really fantastic tab. Not not even because it's like one of his best paintings. Just because it's really just because it's like. This is one of the only self-portraits he did. Um, oh, really? Yeah. I think I think that, um, or maybe like a monk, maybe a monk self-portrait. I'm not sure what one though. It's it's like asking you what your favourite colour is. You know, it is just it is such a hard <laughs> question to answer. That, that is what we're going to ask you That's now. That's what we're going to ask you now. <laughs> really? We are, we ask every guest what's your favourite colour. My favourite colour. Well, I do have an art. My favourite colour is green. There you go. <laughs> I, I thought it. I thought it would be green or teal or blue. Like I knew it's going to be somewhere like that because I do feel like there's always a thread in your work of greeny kind of blue green. Why? Why green? Green's my favourite colour just because I've sort of thought about. It. Been asked the question before and I used to ask it to my parents when I was a kid and I've just kind of decided that all right, it's going to have to be something. So it bet, so it should just be green because I do really <laughs> like green. But like it's, it's like. You know, I've forced into making that decision. I've so many, I've so many favourites. It, it's like um, I don't know. What's what's your guys' favourite colours? Uh, Mine I'm is blue, um, Rob's orange. Orange, orange and green. That's a good match. Yeah, 
<laughs> I only know because I've got orange hair and I'm wearing a green jumper. <laughs> yes, a lot of people who have strawberry blonde, red ginger hair normally wear a lot of green. I've I get noticed. bought a lot of green jumpers, yeah. Because <laughs> it offsets the hair. Mm. Amazing. <laughs> well, what, well, happy birthday for uh, your 21st. Thank and you very much. what are you working towards? Where can people see your work in the flesh? Do you have any plans in the future? Obviously, you're going to have a graduation show? Or? I'm going to have a graduate show. I don't have any shows, no. I mean, hopefully we have our graduate show in real life. That's what I'm really, really praying for. You know, I don't, yeah. I, I think it's, I think it's, to be honest, I do think it's outrageous to put people's graduate shows online. I mean, you've got Instagram for yeah. that. I just think it's, you know. Um, so I really hope we have one in person. And no, I don't, I don't have any shows. I, um, I don't know where people can see my work in life. They can come to the Slade Degree show if it happens. And you're you're on Instagram as well um, at Huddy underscore Hamper, so people can follow you there. And you've got a wide range of your um, work in progress. Yeah, I, and also I, works I put stuff on Instagram. Yeah, or you can go around Rob's house. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> Next time you're in Margate. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming Thanks, on, mate. It's Huddy. been really lovely talking it's, to you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for your questions. I'm sorry I couldn't really answer the what's your favourite painting. Well, you kind of did though. It's good. Thanks so much for asking me. Yeah, cool. <laughs> of course. Well, for everyone uh, listening, so we had uh, Huddy's Instagram there and uh, Adelaide Demoa is also on Instagram. Do you know her Instagram handle, Rob? Yeah, she's just Adelaide Demoa, so it's um, her full name. And then um, Huddy's is Huddy underscore Hamper. Great. And, and for all images we're talking about today, please check out Instagram and please check out Windsor & Newton paint because they're legendary and their oil paints are the best. And actually, and, they're, uh, on, um, they're on Instagram as well. You can go to at Windsor & Newton and oh, okay, uh, learn more about what they do. Well, yes. thank you for listening, everyone. We will be Thanks, back everyone. very Cheers, soon. Thanks, <laughs> Thanks. Bye. 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 You've been listening to Talk Art with Robert Diamond and Russell Toby. Follow us on Instagram at Talk Art, where you can view images of all artworks discussed in today's episode, with music by Jack Northover. Subscribe to Talk Art at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Give us a rating and write us a comment. Thanks for listening. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com